What's going on, friends? Coming up on this month's podcast, we're going to talk about the death of the customer needs assessment. Is it dead or do we just need to breathe new life into it as we operate here in a post-COVID world? We've got some great questions that Mike Obert and I are going to dissect from Paul from Boston. His clients are out of money. Sarah from San Diego struggling with their CRM and Desiree from Toronto. They're in full lockdown mode up in Toronto. Face-to-face meetings are really non-existent. What should she do? Plus, we've got David Walsh from Web Publisher Pro, January Springs Charity Huff. We're talking digital, digital sales stats to help your sales numbers grow. All right, friends, stick around and stay close. Here we go. From the Brainswell Media Studios, welcome to Ad Sales Nation with your host, Ryan Dorn. Each month, Ryan digs deep on the issues and challenges facing media salespeople like you every day. Ryan is a 28-year media veteran, an Emmy winner, a sales coach, and he still sells media every day just like you. Now, your host, your coach, your fellow media sales warrior, Ryan Dorn. All right, Deborah, thanks so much for that great introduction. I need to play that for my mom sometime. I think she'd be proud. (laughs) What's going on, friends, out there in ad sales land? Hope you're having as good a month as you can expect here as we live in a post-COVID world. Man, stuff is starting to shut back down again. Holy cow. So for me, I guess it's important for us really to focus in in our first segment here on what I'm referring to as the death of the customer needs assessment. Now, you're going to disagree. I know a lot of you start your hate mail coming. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Just send it over. Especially uh, all of you that are in leadership roles. You're like, no, Ryan, don't talk about not doing a CNA. Friends, we're living in a world where people are limited on cash, limited on funds, clearly limited on patience. And what I'm observing is they're limited uh, also on cognitive ability to see the difference between right and wrong. So how do we expect somebody we're selling to to accurately understand what they actually need versus what they want? Think about this. A customer needs assessment. Very often it focuses in on what they want, not what they need. Think about it. All the questions that you ask, you know, what's your budget? What are your goals? What keeps you up at night? You know, what's the biggest business challenge for you? How can we help you overcome that? That's all focusing on what they want. They want new customers. They want better leads, whatever the circumstances. They want new business. They want to retain business. Want, 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 want. It really should be called the customer wants assessment, right? I mean, here's the problem, friends. Think through this with me. Don't just disagree at face value and shut the podcast off. Be open-minded. I sell every day, just like all of you. I've been selling and marketing for 30 years. I don't stop selling to become a consultant. Well, you know, those that can't become a consultant, those that can't teach, I'm still doing it. I love the sales business. Do you love the sales business? Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe you need to find your joy again. But this customer wants assessment based upon the questions that we ask It really identifies what somebody wants. But if we don't give them what they need, if we don't guide them towards what they actually need, and we just fulfill what they want, then we've just sold them something that they're going to come back to us on six months, a year, maybe a week, who knows, depending on what you sell. You'll say they're not happy. Oh, I didn't get any ROI. Some of them don't even know what that really means, ROI. They didn't get the return on investment that they needed. And a lot of times, oh, there was, again, need. They didn't get what they needed because we gave them what they wanted. So here's what I'd love for you to consider. Recommendations. Rather than trying to figure out what somebody wants because they know what they want, but maybe not what they need, 
And because a lot of them are egomaniacs or they're struggling to get back to work or they're just impatient. How many of you feel cranky right now? Do you feel cranky? I feel cranky. I'm cranky about the world. I'm cranky about politics. I'm cranky about COVID. I mean, I'm just cranky. So it's difficult to deal with cranky people you're selling to. Then they tell you what they want and you can't convince them what they need. So I'd like to talk to you about recommendations. Were you aware that Nielsen, you know Nielsen, they do TV ratings, audience surveys, things like that. Nielsen reports that recommendations are the most trusted form of information. Recommendations. So what I like to do is I like to coach my customers on on why they need something and, and what they need to buy so they can get themselves to a point where we not only fulfill their wants, but we actually get to the heart of what they needs. Harvard Business Review had a study of 600 top sales professionals. And here's what they found out. Most sales reps rely on a customer to coach them through the sales process. <laughs> now, superstar sales reps that I'm working with, maybe you're one of them, what we do is we coach the customer. We know the questions to ask the customer to get to truly what it is that they need beyond what they want. Most customers are going to struggle to identify an exact need. They might say, as an example, I need more customers. Okay, fine. <laughs> when you say customers, can you be more specific? Tell me more. Give me some detail about that. So what I'm doing to guide them to recommendations is I'm doing a lot of what I like to call comparative selling. Creating comparative conversations helps you draw out ego, helps you draw out emotion, helps you draw out logic. Sometimes in the advertising business where I spend a lot of my time, I'll say things like, who do you feel does a great job of marketing here in our community? I suppose they could always say, well, nobody does. But typically, they'll give you an example of somebody. And then I'll say, okay, do you want to be like them, better than them, less than them? Do you want to be competitive with them? Do you want to dominate them, less than them? What, what's the circumstance for you? Because if you ask them what their budget is, they're probably going to give you a number based on their reality, not the reality of marketing in the community where you live. Let's just say that you sell in the software space. When you create a comparative conversation, you're actually comparing the customer that you have on the line to other customers that you've had in the past that are very, very happy. And then I share ethically, of course, I ethically share stories of how my current clients love me, what they love about me, what they love about the software, what they love about the company, what they've loved about the experience. And I begin to compare customers. Now, every now and again, I'll get an egomaniac on the phone. That'll say, I, I don't want to be compared to anybody. I'm best in class. Okay, well, okay, you are. You're right. <laughs> you are best in class. So what do these comparative conversations look like so that you can recommend products based on the happiness of other customers? Because other customers' happiness probably, not always, probably will translate to the happiness of this new customer that you're trying to get. It's pretty easy. It's all about sharing success stories. Now, a lot of you don't like to do this, and the reason you don't is because you feel like you're talking about one customer behind another customer's back. You're not. What you're doing is you're screaming from the mountaintop how happy other customers are with you. And if they're happy, then this new person will probably be happy. And happiness is what we're seeking. Now, you might get real technical. Well, Ryan, I'm not looking for happiness. What I'm looking for is making sure they have the ROI that they demand. 
Well, when push comes to shove, what most people want to do is what others have done to be successful. It wasn't that long ago, just last weekend, I was talking with a friend of mine. She said, hey, I'm having some great luck losing weight. I said, cool. I would love to drop 15 pounds. I think it'd make me happy, make my wife happy, make everybody happy. What are you doing? And she told me about her plan. What did I do? I immediately went home and looked it up online and made a couple of clicks here and clicks there to figure out, hey, how could I get involved in this? Her success story led me to, to making a great buying decision, in my opinion. Simple example, but that example will resonate through everything that you do. See, when you have a linear conversation, a one-way conversation with a client, what you're doing is you're having a one-way conversation with a client. It keeps them inside their own bubble. And it's not until somebody gets out of their bubble, out of their bubble, that they realize, oh, other people out here are happy. They're being successful. I want to be like them. What are they doing? What is their weight loss plan? How did it work for them? What made them happy? And if I can help them be happy, if I can help them be happy like other people, then all of a sudden they start buying what it is that I'm selling. Now, I've had the opportunity uh, to walk through and be a part of almost every sales training program in America, from Carnegie to Sandler. All of them are great programs. Well, I guess I shouldn't say all of them. <laughs> Not all of them are great, but most of them are pretty darn good. But the problem is, is they focus on a one-way conversation where you identify somebody's pain and then you fix that pain. That's great, but you can actually take it to the next level by introducing to them, find out their pain points, but then introduce to them, hey, look, I have helped eliminate pain for other people. It's about proving that you have done something for other people. It's about getting beyond the old-fashioned customer needs assessment to start recommending products, sharing success stories, creating comparative conversations conversations that are ethical, and being really careful about the questions that you ask. Make sure the questions that you ask take you to a better place. Now, you might be saying, okay, well, Ryan, that's all fine and dandy. What are these questions? Well, what I try not to do is ask the same questions that have been asked for the last 10 or 15 years, because I think you sound like the other salespeople that have showed up, uh, whether it's face-to-face, -face, on Zoom, on the phone, or whatever the circumstance is. Some of the questions that I ask that a lot of folks don't, I don't say things like, what keeps you up at night? I would rather ask a question, something along the lines of, if we could help bring you one perfect customer, what would that customer look like? When you agreed to meet with me, was there a business challenge you were hoping that I could help you solve? Rather than asking, what's their budget, as I mentioned before, especially in the ad sales world where I spend uh, a lot of my time in the advertising business, I'll say, if we could help you be bigger, better, and better than your nearest competitor, what would that look like? In the past, what have you done to solve these types of problems? I may use something back from my good old Sandler days where I might say, you know, what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now that you think I could help you solve? How long has that been a challenge or a problem for you? What have you done in the past to fix that problem or remove that problem from the greater equation of your business? Friends, I really want you to think about something like this. Most people want to be led. Most people like recommendations. Most people don't like a linear conversation. They want to know what others are doing and what you have done to help other people. The customer needs assessment isn't dead, but if we don't breathe some new life into it, if we keep doing the same thing we've always done, we're going to get the same result. If you want to see a different result, you're going to have to do something different. 
And that's why we're advisors. Try to be an advisor and don't be a salesperson. Breathe some new life into your customer needs assessment. Managers out there, sales directors, sales leaders, look at those questions that are being asked. Make sure that they're updated. Make sure they reflect the current situation that we're in. And in the end, friends, don't forget, if sales was easy, everybody would be doing it. And they're not. So we're either crazy or we found a career that'll feed our families for a lifetime. We've got January spring and some digital ideas to help you grow your business dramatically overnight. We will be right back. Stick around, stay close. The Ad Sales Nation podcast with Ryan Dorn is brought to you in part by the strategy and design team at Web Publisher Pro. When it's time for your media company to have a top-notch website that is designed for optimal revenue potential, turn to David and the creative team at Web Publisher Pro. Learn more online at webpublisherpro.com. Thank you to the team over at Open Look Business Solutions. Outsource sales tasks, data cleanup, telemarketing, design tasks, or hire a virtual assistant. Reach out to Mike at open-look.com. That's open-look.com. Thank you to the fine folks at January Spring. If you are looking to grow revenue by offering white-label digital services like SEO, social media, or programmatic ads, reach out to Charity over at JanuarySpring.com. Charity loves to strategize about growing revenue. You sell it and January Spring fulfills it. Learn more online at JanuarySpring.com. Okay, now back to the show. Here's your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. All right, friends and fans, as you know, one of my favorite times of the podcast every month is when Charity Huff dials in all the way from Denver, Colorado, from January spring, and we talk about programmatic and digital. And, you know, Charity, this COVID-19 thing has been really rough on publishers and radio stations, media companies in general. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that folks are using programmatic digital advertising, et cetera, to recover some of those uh, some of those lost funds. Right now, what we're hearing from a lot of publishers is revenues down overall, but digital has been a bit more buoyant. And so they're having conversations with their advertisers where they're leading with their digital offering, their owned and operated digital, and then pulling programmatic through because people are struggling to figure out as a local regional business, how do I reach people in their home? How do I get them when they're not in the normal places and not doing the normal things? Like people aren't commuting on the train. They're not listening to the radio because they're not in their car, right? There's things that people just normally would use for advertising that's not working. And digital, as we talked about last month, has seen a 70% increase since COVID really started with the shelter in place. So people are spending a lot of time on their mobile device, on their computer, and that's where we need to be reaching them. And programmatic is a perfect way to do that because we can reach them in their house, on their streaming device, on their tablet, on their desktop, on their mobile phone. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, in the so we'll talk both sides of the equation here. On the consumer side of things, what categories are you seeing surging right now? Where should these folks in local media be looking on the consumer side? Then we'll go to B2B. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if your cul-de-sac looks anything like mine, there's <laughs> at least one contractor here every day. Um, so it's all of those home services. They are thriving and doing very well. They are spending money and they are looking to reach people at a very targeted level. So all of those um, home contract services 
Um, even like the carpet guy, right? Mm -hmm. The, the blinds lady, um, the landscaper, the solar roofer, um, the tile guy, all of those people are actively growing their business right now. Another set of categories are all tied to wealth management. People are watching the stock market boomerang around and really looking for some sage advice for, for college planning, retirement, um, refinancing, all of those things where they're trying to manage their money. And then another set of categories that I'm glad to see is coming back are all of those elective services, even to dentists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are have gone so long without those services that they want to know that it's safe and that their provider has been thoughtful about how they're coming back online and coming right. back into the market. And um, the best way for um, whether it's the manicurist or the hairstylist or the, um, cosmetic dentist is to let people know what their COVID plans are and right. how they can keep them safe and healthy. And they need to do that through their advertising. Yeah. I noticed I had a conversation and I'm going to do a webinar on it at some point here with, uh, Sammy Pappert, um, with pulse data sales data and 60 oh, some percent. Yeah. yeah. 60 some percent of the public has said they want to see an advertising. They want to be communicated to locally. What are you mm -hmm. doing to keep me safe? What are your hours? Exactly. It's important, obviously, if you're back open or whatnot. But what are you doing to keep me safe? 60-some percent. So I thought that was really interesting. Now, what about for the folks on the other side of the equation here, those that are in the B2B sort of national uh, sales game? Where are these folks that are making money back post-COVID? Where are they focusing their programmatic efforts? Yeah, and you know, and actually – our B2B publishers um, have been really quick to pivot and make sure that programmatic is a core part of their offering because they have all of these vendors and advertisers and sponsors that are like, how am I going to reach mm -hmm. my really niche target audience when they're not in the places I would expect them to be? So we are putting together a combination of site retargeting because all of those professionals, whatever the niche may be, are still reading and consuming all of that industry content. And then we're targeting at the address level them in their place of business and in all of the other places that they have to still frequent for their industry because people are still going about doing their business. It just might be that they're just sitting in the back office and there's nobody in the front office. But mm -hmm. if you're trying to pick up the general manager or the chief financial officer, or whomever that might be, that's the way to do it. And it's all that data that only the publisher has, all that first party data that makes it really valuable to sponsors. So those guys are actually doing well. That's awesome. Just so we're on the same page, everybody. So what Charity's talking about is if you are a magazine, for example, and you've got 15,000 uh, readers and you've got their information, their addresses, where you mail the magazine, et cetera, too, you can load that into a database and do address level targeting. But one of the things I've seen folks doing is um, they're actually, if you will, they're they're doing virtual events. So they're geofencing, if you will, the virtual event. They're taking the data from the virtual event, exactly. dropping that into your tool set. And then they're targeting uh, post attendee uh, folks that were at the virtual event. They're getting advertising from sponsors, from the media company. 
after the event. And that's working pretty well, isn't it? Virtual event it's retargeting. It's working really well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. It It's working really well for our business to business publishers. And you can see an application for our business to consumer publishers too, as yeah. they start to look at whatever kind of virtual events they want to do in the fall. Right. And you radio folks that are listening in, we've got radio and TV uh, publishers as well. Um, anytime you've got an address or you've got a data set that you want to target through mobile, through search remarketing, through site retargeting, any of the kind of data, we can drop that into that database. I say we, I, like, well, I'm working for you, Charity. We will drop it into your <laughs> database. Um, um, you can drop that into a, to the database and be able to match up against it. And I feel like a lot of people are not fully embracing that from a media perspective. And it can be very, very beneficial. It can be, it is, and and it is something that only you can do, right? It's something that you have that data that's highly valuable to these advertisers and sponsors and tell them you've got it. Tell them you can help them in this and um, you'll see your revenue come back. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we're always looking for ways to recover what was lost here. Uh, during the last 90, 100 days, whatever it's been of, of COVID-19. So, all right, well, Charity Huff from January Spring, friends. You can learn more about what Charity does online at JanuarySpring.com. And she loves, trust me, friends, she loves to strategize. You can hear it in her voice. She gets so excited when you ask her to strategize about this kind of stuff. So reach out to her, JanuarySpring.com. So, Charity, thanks so much for, uh, as always, dialing up on the line and uh, being a part of the program. You're very welcome. Thanks, Ryan. All right, friends and fans, I've got the opportunity to have uh, David Walsh here with me uh, from Web uh, Publisher Pro. And we like to talk about uh, digital stuff and, and the web and, and web habits and trends. And David, I feel like it's really important for uh, sales reps out there to really be focused in in the ad sales business and really have a good understanding of what's happening kind of out there in the landscape. Um, we came across the Reuters Institute, University of Oxford study. This guy named Nick Newman did it, senior research associate at the Reuters Institute. And um, let's see, where's the data come from? I have it right here. Let's see. The data for their study on web consumption was based on data from six continents and 40 markets, um, aiming to cast light on the key issues that face the uh, digital sort of publishing industry. And so it's a really long report. I'll put a link to it, friends, in the podcast uh, notes so you can uh, check it out. It's a free report. But David, I was just wondering, you know, I've got a couple things that stood out to me. What were some of the uh, points in this uh, in this report that stood out to you from a digital consumption perspective? Yeah, there were a lot of them. Uh, as you said, it's a lengthy report. Um, one of the biggest that stood out for me was there was the 20% increase in willingness from users to pay for news. Um, while at the same time, there were 40% of respondents said that they would never pay no matter what was ever offered to them or special considerations that they got. Uh, so it really showed that there needs to be a diversified strategy in how a publisher can uh, attract revenue from those 20% of users that are willing to pay, um, but also still monetize and market to those 40% that say that they'll never pay, um, which would obviously be through ad sales, retargeting, um, and email newsletters, things like that. Yeah. You know, one of the strategy pieces for me, especially when I'm selling to advertisers, is being able to point out the unique characteristics of the content, whether you're local, consumer, B2B, or whatever, you know, really the uniqueness um, of the content. Um, I, I found something kind of funny in the survey. The survey shows the majority, 60%, <laughs> still prefer news that has no particular point of view. 
and that, yeah. <laughs> and that only a minority, 28%, prefer news that shares or reinforces their views. Um, <laughs> I thought that to be pretty interesting. It's like we're not paying attention, is the... <laughs> is what seemed interesting to me. But I feel like to be really great in the ad sales business, you really need to kind of know, um, you know, really what's, you know, what's happening out there. Now, if you haven't friends out there, and Dave, we can talk about, you know, just the spikes in traffic, um, you know, during COVID-19, it's it's really continued uh, to to hold steady. Have you seen that? That web traffic, it spiked during COVID, um, and then it kind of came down a little bit, and now it seems to be back up. What are what are your clients uh, in the publishing space? What are your client sites uh, traffic? What are they kind of looking like? Yeah, actually, it's really amazing. Back in uh, March, when we started seeing the increase in traffic, we were seeing some sites that were going up fifty percent, some two hundred percent in page views and unique visitors. Uh, return traffic was just through the roof as well, um, and. You know, we kind of thought that through like April, May, um, June, you know, not knowing how long uh, lockdowns and news coverage would be lasting for at the time, uh, we thought that it would kind of taper off. Um, but it, we've been really surprised that through June, uh, many, uh, if not most of our publishers have reported that they're getting their highest traffic months they've ever had um, in June. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to July and seeing how that goes. But um, with advertising revenue and spend kind of picking back up on local publications, um, it's a great opportunity and time for publishers to really monetize these steady increased traffic trends. Yeah, for sure. Now, friends, I mean, a lot of times I think when you think about you read you on your website, you're like, man, oh, man, this is going to be the most craziest process, um, you know, known to mankind. And I can personally say, I don't mind saving, saying this, um, you know, for you, David, I've had the opportunity with one of my clients to walk through the process with you. And they reported back, you know, painless process uh, to move things over. Here's the cool part. And I won't say their name because we don't have necessarily permission to be um, to spout it out there. But um, the new sizes, the new ad units, the new ad positions, all of those things that they were able to relaunch on their website, they've been able to monetize and take advantage of. Do you find a lot of the sites that you're redoing, do they have like, they're all IAB standard sizes probably, but they're real old school in the sizing. So people are, do you think they're losing money because they haven't upgraded to the new banner ad sizes and things like that? Yeah, and there's uh, there's some interesting experimentation going on with kind of like non-standard ad sizes, um, but particularly for the kind of medium to large uh, publishers that we work with, uh, they're all making the upgrade to the IAB sizes um, and also getting really advanced with, um, you know, using your ad server like your Google ad manager to uh, do sponsor content um, and be able to report metrics on that and tie it in with your display advertising so it could all be properly targeted. Um, so we're working through a lot of um, strategies around the ad setup, the sponsor content setup, using your um, ad server and just kind of delivering a great experience to your advertiser. And uh, David, I always enjoy my conversations with you because I'm one of those people, I need data points like this. Um, and we'll, again, friends, we'll put the uh, this study, this digital uh, 2020 uh, executive summary, we'll put it in the in the show notes so you can check that out and, uh, and find it. But I'd encourage all the author and ad sales land, local, consumer, B2B, Download this study, read it, and uh, make it a point of uh, your advertiser conversations. Good data. It's always good to have good data points. So, David, thanks so much. And uh, I think we're um, you're moving my site over onto to your system. So that's great. We're excited about that. And uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you, uh, with you next month. Yeah, thanks as always for having me. I look forward to uh, talking next month. All right, friends and fans. As you know, one of my favorite parts of the uh, program each and every month 
is when we dial up Mike Obert from Open Look Business Solutions and dissect your listener questions. And uh, Mike, you know, some of these questions, like I've mentioned before, are coming in like specifically addressed to you. So, you know, I'm going to go on vacation and just let you do the podcast. I think that's what needs to <laughs> I don't think so, Ryan. <laughs> I think that's what, that's, what needs to, that's what needs to happen. Hey, so um, we've got a great question from Paul in Boston, Sarah from San Diego, and Desiree from uh, Toronto. So love to just, uh, you know, rock through these with you if you don't mind. Let's do it. Thanks, Ryan. So, uh, Paul, oh, by the way, friends, send those questions in ryan at ryandorn.com, D-O-H-R-N, ryan at ryandorn.com. And then we uh, try to send out a T-shirt to folks that send their questions in. And I've I've heard the T-shirts are amazing. So, all right, Paul from Boston asking, hey, guys, my clients are saying that they're out of money, period. I'm not sure what to say. Please help. And Paul, I think this is going to be, no matter what you sell, whether it's advertising or it's a copier or it's software services or whatever, um, Mike, I feel like we're going to be hearing that people are out of money for, for quite some time, even though the stock market keeps right on, uh, right on rocking. I'm, I'm thinking what the next six months, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Maybe six months, the next year, do you think? What do you, what do you think? I'm thinking it's probably going to be through the end of the year, right? And I think it's going to be an advertiser's crutch is to say, I'm out of money, or I, I don't have any money from advertising, or I'm cutting that budget, or something like that. So I do think it's going to be a common objection that we add sales reps are going to get, um, or us sales reps are going to get. Uh, but you know, one thing that that I've heard you specifically talk about, Ryan, and I've heard some of the other uh, companies that I work with is um, putting stimulus packages in place for your advertisers. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's great. I think it shows that you care, uh, for your advertisers and for the companies that you're working with, um, things like, you know, three ads for the price of two or four ads for the price of three, um, giving them a free ad or, or, uh, bumping up, uh, a half page to a, a full page or something like that. I think that, uh, I think that gives a lot of credibility to you. In your company, uh, working with the companies that are uh, that are buying from you, right? Yeah, whatever it is, whatever it is that you sell, um, and so some of those incentive programs can be dollar for dollar matching, which I mean, technically that's going to be a fifty percent discount. Some of those are just bounce back programs. Let's just say some of you that listen to the podcast uh, sell digital services, you sell software, things like that. It can be uh, like a grant program where we've set aside fifty thousand dollars in grant money. I mean, let's be honest, guys. All too often, what we do is we're going to give a discount anyway off our services. I know everyone's like, oh, I'd never give a discount. Okay, whatever. Um, We all probably do. And so if you're going to give a discount anyway, maybe package it as some type of incentive uh, program. But going back, Paul, it's possible that you're talking to somebody that is out of money. Like legitimately, they are literally out of money. So some of the things you could do there, maybe you could do deferred payments. Um, You could potentially set up payment plans. Um, and then sometimes what I do is I try to focus on strategic conversations. Okay, so you don't have any money right now for whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And so let's, okay, so let's have some strategic conversations. What's the future look like? When, when do you think that you're going to get back to business? When do you feel like this is going to be you know, happening? And just focus more on strategic conversations. But Mike, I'm wondering, I feel like whatever you sell, sometimes it's I have no money. It's just a stopper. It's just an excuse. Like they have money, but... They right. act like they don't. Do you feel like that's 50% no. of the time? <laughs> yeah, I would probably say more than that. I, I just think it's a common objection, right? I think it's now it's a, 
an objection that people are leaning on more than they did last year at this right. point. So, right. yeah, no, no, no I, I, I do totally agree with you on that. So and, at, uh, that, at, at that point, uh, what I'd like to do is I mentioned names of their competitors that are working with us, um, or I mentioned other bigger companies that are having some great success with us. Um, I try to drive that fear of missing out. And yep. then the other thing is if they're out of money, if depending on the product you sell, maybe there's ways to save them money. So in the advertising space where a lot of you live, most of you live that are listening to this podcast, um, you basically could say, hey, if you're running Google AdWords, I have something that's more cost effective. Or if you're trying to do Facebook on your own, I've got something that's more cost effective or yep. whatever that circumstance is. So look to save them some money would be the thing. Yeah, I think that's that's when you get more into that consultative type sales of, hey, look, okay, I'm not trying to sell you something right now. Let me just help you. Let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you what I'm hearing out on the marketplace from your competitors um, so that I can help you get through this time. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, good question, Paul. Good question, Paul. Yeah, it was good, Paul. All right, uh, Sarah from San Diego. Um, hey, Mike. Hey, Ryan. I'm trying to use my CRM. We get a lot of CRM questions. I'm trying to use my CRM, but I feel like it just takes me more time than it's worth. Should I keep going or should I abandon it? And keep going. Hey, keep going, Sarah. Um, I can honestly say that I know, don't know very many sales professionals, Mike, that are serious, seriously good, that do not use a CRM. I'm going to bet, Sarah, that what you're doing is double tasking yourself. So probably what you're doing is on a sales call, you're taking notes on a piece of paper, and then you're translating that back into your CRM so you feel like you're doing double work. Now, now, it might be that you have an awful CRM. <laughs> so if that's the yeah. case, you know, look for a best-in-class solution. Also, Sarah, don't forget, um, on your computer, on your phone, whatever, every CRM has a place for notes. That's where you're going to spend most of your time. Put your cursor there, and then you can dictate into your computer. Like on a Mac, you click function, function. The dictation tool will pop up. On your iPhone, put the cursor there. You can dictate right into your iPhone, right into the notes, and that might save you more time as well. Mike, are, do you know of any sales, like serious sales pros that don't use a CRM? I don't, no. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like, If that's your profession, there's just no way that you can keep all of that information in your head or in a notebook. Like, You've got to have a serious CRM to be able to help organize yourself. Make sure that you're sending out information on time, putting callbacks in, uh, sending emails out, all that kind of stuff. It's got to go through a, uh, a good, robust uh, CRM. Yeah. And the other thing is um, your boss probably is mandating that you use it, Sarah. So, like, don't <laughs> don't not use it. You know, I think that's yeah. something important to you. Uh, in, in most CRMs, I mean, there's training that's out there. There's people that you need to ask. Just I would keep keep moving forward. Yeah, cool. All right. Good question, Sarah. Keep rocking forward. All right, Desiree from Toronto, last listener question here. Um, hey, guys, we are in full lockdown mode still here in Canada. Um, I'm great face-to-face, -face, but not on the phone or Zoom. What am I missing? Hmm. Um, <laughs> for, hmm. So if you're great face-to-face, -face, you should be great on Zoom. I'm wondering if maybe you're not seeing the webcam on the other side, um, or maybe you're just having trouble, you know, kind of, kind of leaping, if you will, or bridging that sort of cyberspace gap, you know, that occurs. So right. one of the things that comes from it is a lot of it is practice too. Are you doing a lot of those Zoom meetings? The other thing I do is, are, do you do word tracks? I mean, do you actually have it written out like on a handy dandy piece of paper, like what you're going to say? I mean, do you have it kind of in front of you doing those word tracks sort of, don't, don't sound like you're reading a script, but doing some of those word tracks. 
And then, you know what? N- nobody wants to hear this, Mike, in sales. Like, do you role play? I mean, do you practice with other members of your team? Right. And the answer is most we are the most unpracticed professional group in, in, a, in the world because everyone's like, oh, I'm great when I'm in front of a client, but I can't right. I can't role play. So maybe it, yeah. it is a little bit of practice. Um, and the other thing is that you might just need to set yourself up for success. Maybe your background looks terrible. Maybe you don't feel comfortable seeing yourself. And part of that is just getting over it. But we do yeah. everything uh, on Zoom and Skype and all that. Mike, what are, what are your thoughts on Desiree's question? You know, I'm going to tell you when all of this started, I struggled a little bit on kind of that that small talk that you start the conversation with because, you know, my go-tos are – I'm going to talk sports uh, or I'm going to talk about a recent event or something and there's no sports. <laughs> and there's, what am I going to talk about? How am I going to get into this conversation with Ryan Dorn when I can't talk about the, uh, the uh, Chicago Bears or the Dallas Cowboys or right. something like that? Right. So I, I did struggle with that and I did have to sit down and kind of come up with, okay, what is my new pitch? Like how, how am I going? And I don't, you know, and I think everybody doesn't want to, start every conversation out with like, well, how's quarantine? How are things going? Um, so, you know, that, that was one thing that I had to come up with is, okay, I'm going to write down, here's my new little elevator pitch. This is my new little introduction or whatever, my little intro, that small talk, let's get into the conversation, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, that's, um, and so d- what did you kind of come up with? Because what I did is I've been doing a little bit of more like, hey, good news um, out there. I've got some great ideas to share with you. Good news in my neck of the woods here in South Carolina. Um, you know, we're back to back to business. I try to always start out with like some good news. Obviously, stay away from politics. Obviously, I come up yeah. with like just good news. We did go from COVID right to rioting. So it's like it, there's not a lot of good news out there. So I like right. to try to find some good news, which is yeah. helpful. And I'm in Texas, right? So, you know, Texas is, has opened back up. So that's been kind of my big news is, hey, you know, here in Texas, we're, we're open for business. You know, I went to a restaurant last week. So yeah. trying to uh, give, you know, good information of stuff that you're doing. I've also been making a lot of drinks lately. So oh, <laughs> There you go. I've been talking like, hey, you know, here's my cocktail of the week and here's <laughs> something that I'm doing, you know, to, to get through this time. So. Yeah, that's great. Side note on that. You guys got to go check out Mike's Mixology uh, channel on, on YouTube. It is called is it called Mike's Mixology, right? It's Mike's Mixology. Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we do a drink of the week at home. So, yeah, you yeah, guys that's want cool. to Yeah. So I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to make sure I mentioned that Mike's Mixology YouTube channel. So check it out for all of us in sales. We know that we're we've got our favorite cocktails out there. So be sure to check that out. So good questions from Paul and Sarah and Desiree and friends. Keep your questions coming in. Ryan at Ryan Dorn. Always happy. Uh, Mike and I are always happy to uh, dissect those. So thanks for those uh, good, good questions. And uh, yep. Mike just wanted to give a shout out uh, to your team there at Open Look. Uh, my virtual assistant is uh, at Open Look. My social media gets updated through Open Look. So open-look.com. And uh, reach, out to, uh, uh, reach out to Mike. Some people have been calling you, huh, Mike? People have been calling saying they're hearing you on the show. People have been calling me. Uh, one person even said that they blushed when they got me on the phone. Nice. So I thought that was great. But uh, yeah, we're getting a lot of calls from people that are just looking for tasks to get done um, in these you know crazy times when they need workforce or, or projects. So yeah, give me a call if you guys need help with anything. Yeah, sounds good. Open-look.com. All right, Mike Ober, thanks so much, my man. And uh, we will see you on uh, Listen and Chat with you next month. Sounds great. Thanks, Ryan. 
All right, friends, that's the podcast for this month. Sure, appreciate all your support all through COVID-19. Hey, we raised a lot of money for charity doing these uh, sales webinars, so the charities appreciate that. Uh, We specifically want to do a little shout-out to the Golden Harvest Food Bank here in our area and, of course, Feeding America. Altogether, you helped us raise almost $3,000 for charity by supporting our uh, sales training uh, webinars. Now, just a side note, the next podcast here in sequence, because these play backwards by date, is going to be selling amidst COVID. So it's not that there's not great ideas there. There are, but it's going to seem a little weird. You just listen to a post-COVID, and then you're going to go listen to the next one, which is mid-COVID. So if you want to, just skip that next one. That's cool. And then go to the next podcast, which is all about prospecting. Clear as mud, right? (laughs) If I can be of help to you, we're doing all of our training virtually. I've got a full HD studio here in the office. Love to train your team in full HD video. Working really great. People are loving it. So reach out to me about that. You can find out more about us online over at RyanDorn.com. If you're in the ad sales business, check out 360AdSales.com. And if I could be of help, reach out to me, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Hey, for my family, from our cast and crew here at Brainswell Media, we thank you so much for your support. All right, friends, we'll see you next month. And remember, if ad sales was easy, if sales was easy, everybody be doing it. And they're not. So we're either crazy which is possible, or we found a career that will feed our families for a lifetime. All right, God bless you all. Be safe out there. We'll see you on the next show.